Welcome to the From Hangovers to Happiness podcast. My name is Arielle Diamond. You can find me at My Sober Compass on Instagram. This podcast is to help you step into your power and discover that you truly matter, my friend. If you are considering sobriety, want to start living a life without alcohol, or just want to hear some great recovery advice, then this is the podcast for you. Let's go. What's up? It's Arielle from My Sober Compass, and I am so delighted to talk about my first few years in recovery and what that looked like. So let's dial it back. I want to take you back to October 29th, 2015. This was the day that I graduated from treatment and left to the open world. I went and walked out the doors and walked into a brand new life that I felt excited for at the time. I loved treatment. I I thrived in that environment. I mean, it was a private, secluded, safe space, no alcohol to be seen, wonderful people around me 24-7. I had meals prepared. There were so many awesome things in treatment. And I was leaving on an actual pink cloud. That is the term we use. I was on a high. I was ready to live my life. And bam, there I was walking out into the real world. And I was scared shitless. (laughs) I was terrified because within the first 24 hours of being free, quote unquote, I had this realization that alcohol had touched every single part of my life. It had for so many years controlled who I hung out with, how I spent my time, what activities I did, my emotions, what I, like all of the things. And here I was, it felt like I was a newborn baby, just naked out in the world, trying to piece together how to live my life. And the treatment center was great. They set me up with a few things that I really needed. Number one was I had a counselor that I was ready to go to. Number two, I had... I knew that I needed to get a sponsor and get a home group and do the steps in AA, which I started immediately. And that was it. That was my plan. And I had a list of phone numbers of people to call if I wanted to relapse. But my goodness, I felt that first week like, well, what else? How? What else do I need to do to be happy? What else do I need to do to stay safe on the outside? And I had so many questions just revolving through my head that I started to immediately shut down, which is what happens when Ariel Diamond gets overwhelmed. She starts to shut down. And boy, this first bit in early recovery, I felt like I was swimming in open water and I could not see land. I didn't know exactly what to do, how to act, who to talk to, and I, I went pretty quiet there for a bit. I had some really cool people that I was out of treatment with, I, I knew that they were going to support me and I would support them. Um, but other than that, it was like navigating brand new territory. And so I did. I, I felt like a salmon, a slippery salmon, <laughs> just swimming upstream for a while and trying to figure out how to live my life again. Because my life in the past had involved partying. It involved international event planning and it involved more partying. 
And here I was moving to a town, Cranbrook, British Columbia, which was gorgeous, in the mountains, beautiful, but a very different lifestyle than what I was used to in DC. In DC, I had my anonymity. I had uh, people's pla people, places, and things that I knew. And I had made the decision to move to British Columbia for a year or two just to get my roots back in, get my roots in recovery and start to learn life again. And I wanted to be close to the treatment center that I went to because they still had meetings that I could go to. They offered a sweat lodge, which I could go to monthly. And there were people that I knew from the community because we had been taken out into the community quite a bit. I thought honestly that this was the best chance that I was going to give myself to learn how to live a new way and really dig into my recovery. And so I did. And that first year was really difficult. And I promised you guys in the first episode of this podcast that I was not going to sugarcoat anything. And so I'm not going to sugarcoat anything. I swam upstream this first year and part of it was my own fault. I was stubborn. I still was fighting an ego that thought that I could just figure this out on my own. And <laughs> this is what addiction does. Addiction makes us think that, yep, we can figure this out on our own. We are just going to go out there and will ourselves to never drink again. And all it takes is a positive mind. I call bullshit on that. If willpower worked, we would all be doing that and we would all be living happy lives just because we told ourselves to, <laughs> right? But that is simply not the case. Addiction is a, a bitch for lack of a better term. Addiction is a monster and addiction is sneaky and cunning and wants to trick us at every turn. And yes, this is what I want to preach and talk about. And I don't mean to preach, but I am getting really fired up now because this was my truth. I had to start to listen to other people and hear about their stories and learn from their mistakes so that I could implement this into my own program. And I felt really confused about many things. I was confused about who I should tell now that I was out of treatment. So I started calling my friends and a few of them were quite mad at me because they didn't know where I was the past three months. And I, I, I was too scared to tell them. Like I didn't know how that they would receive it. So what I did was de delay the inevitable, which they truly did care about me, but I just didn't know how to approach them with it. The other thing that I had to tackle was, oh, uh, my trusting myself and my brain. My best thinking for so long 10 years brought me to the bottle every single time. That was honestly my best thinking. And here I was living a newly sober life and trying to figure out how to not drink, but also not listen to my brain and rebuild trust that I hadn't had there for a really long time. And this was a process. I did not just walk out of there and say, I'm gonna trust my brain moving forward, no. I was told up and down, left and right in treatment that we had to build this trust and we had to actually take action in our recovery programs. And so I did. And I started going to lots of meetings because I knew that I needed to meet people. I'm an extrovert. I'm an Enneagram 3, which I'll do another episode on the Enneagram and what, what extroverts need in recovery and introverts. But my personality, bottom line, was that I needed to get FaceTime with other people and I needed to not isolate. 
Because if I isolated, my brain would take over and start to think about drinking again, which would ultimately lead me to drink again. So knowing this and getting out into the world was hugely important. I started to do that. And I was in a brand new relationship at the same time with my partner. uh, And we went into recovery mode together. And this first year, I mean, I don't think we did everything right, but we we did stay sober. And there were days, I will tell you, that I was on the floor crying, processing emotions, just trying to get through life in a different way. And that crying was very healing. It was almost like I was releasing tension every time I would cry. Because after I'd cry, I'd feel way better. And I had to actually also start to look at myself and say, okay, Ariel, do you want to live like a victim anymore? Do you want to have this dialogue in your brain that is repeating itself over and over again saying, poor you, poor you, you can't moderate, poor you, you can't have a drink anymore. Oh, I just feel so bad for you. Those were my addict, that was my addictive side of my brain telling me poor me, because what was happening was every time I would think poor me, I would get closer and closer to thinking about drinking again, which would mean I was getting closer and closer to relapsing. And I did not want to be a victim for the rest of my life. I, I, ah, and I had lived under this umbrella of being a victim for so long that now I wanted to step into my power. I wanted to step into my growth. I wanted to step into living life to the fullest, which is something that I had not done since I was in high school. (laughs) And even then, I don't think I was living life to the fullest. So brand new territory, a brand new path filled with brand new people in a brand new location in a brand new country. I mean, you can see all the different layers to this onion that I'm peeling back. Regardless, I knew that this was a fight for my life. I had to play the tape forward of if I picked up and had that first drink, what was going to happen? And this is one of the coolest tools that I offer in recovery coaching and teach people is we do, we need to look at that first drink very differently because for me, a first drink meant not one drink, it meant 15 or 20 drinks and it meant chaos and destruction and a tornado of emotions. And (laughs) I'm just thinking back to so many times where I journaled the living shit out of my feelings And I journaled this shit out of playing the tape forward because I did not want to fall into that victim mentality and telling myself that, yeah, this illusion that one day I could drink like a normal person. And I literally had people around me that didn't understand addiction saying, oh, well, you'll you'll get this figured out and don't worry, you'll be able to drink one day again. No, if you know someone in early recovery, please do not tell them that. Like, honestly, it is so counterproductive. But you know, at the same time, it did help me kind of see things a bit differently because I knew I was starting to get really grounded in this idea that no, I was not ever going to be a normal drinker. I had lived that for so long, hundreds and thousands of times of trying to be a normal drinker, but every single time I was left feeling the same. I drank way more than I wanted to. I drank to survive. And the next morning I would wake up with a hangover that would literally make me feel like I was run over by an anxiety bus and that I was not going to be okay. (laughs) So I'm, I'm telling you this with a smile on my face because yeah, that first year was filled with a lot of revelations, 
a lot of feelings, a lot of growing, and those growing, they were growing pains. And pain is the biggest teacher that we have. Pain is a freaking amazing teacher. Because after that first year, I had heard, gone over a few difficult things. Uh, my partner and I, we got pregnant by accident. And it was this double-edged sword of how am I going to take care of a baby in early recovery? How is this going to go? Do I have the ability to be a mom? And then I started to gain confidence and say, yes, I can do this. I can be a recovery warrior mom. I can do all the things. And I got really excited about being pregnant. And then two weeks later, at nine weeks, I had a miscarriage. And this miscarriage sent me into an emotional spiral of, wow, I am feeling lower than I ever have. And how the heck am I going to survive this sober? But I did. And I reached out for even more help during that time. I got really connected with people that could support me through that. And I made it. And my partner made it. And we emerged out of that even stronger. The other thing that I had to combat was this idea that I needed to move back to D.C. A lot of people were telling me that you need to come back to D.C. You need to get back to working. You need to do this. You need to do that. You should, should, should. And I had to start to set boundaries with people in my life and just say, you know what? I need this time for me because I am burnt out and I am trying to build my life back up so that I can start to work again and I can put everything into my work and but also have a balance with it because I was never very good at balancing and I'm sure I'm sh very sure some of you can relate to this. I have an addictive personality. So whether what you put in front of me, I'm usually a black or white person. Like I go for it. There's no real middle ground. So I knew that going back to work in the first six months of my recovery was just not going to be something that I that was productive. And I had to set boundaries and I had to start to stand up for myself and use my voice and speak up for what I needed. And there was a counselor actually at treatment who told me this one day and it really pissed me off when he told me that I didn't have a voice. So now here I was out of treatment and I needed to find my voice and you better believe that it took me some time, but I did. And then I started to think about how I could give back to my community. What would that look like? What would that entail? And I started doing that in meetings and helping newcomers who come into the rooms simply by talking to them and hearing them out and listening to their experience and, and telling them my personal story. And then I started to make friends in recovery, and this helped me immensely. I had a close-knit group of girlfriends in about a month, and my that was pivotal for me because otherwise I would have just isolated, been alone, and as an extrovert, that was not something that was healthy for me. So that first year, I learned quite a bit, and I'm sure... If you are in your early recovery or you're in your first year, I'm sure you're starting to notice that, wow, this is starting to take a lot of work. Recovery is not just this thing that is handed to us. It is not in pill form. It is not something that someone can just shake their finger at us and say, you just got to feel better and be happier. I had experienced that too. Well, you should just be happy because life is what you make it. Well, yeah, I, I do want to be happy. And yes, I do need to take action. But you sitting there and pointing a finger at me telling me I got to be happier is not very productive. And the quickest way that I started to get happy was to take action. 
to go to the meeting, to go snowboarding, to meet a new person, to have a conversation, even though I'm shy, that was a pivotal turning point. And these are things that I'd love for you to consider too. If you are not happy with where you're at, cool. That's great to know because now when you know and you start to realize that you're not good and you're feeling stuck, that is when you can start to wiggle out of that, climb out of that hole and start doing things every single day, even if they're small, to start to feel a bit better. And I want to support you in this. I know that early recovery can be hard. And in the next episode, I'm going to talk all about why I started My Sober Compass, what we are all about, and how I even got to that point. For this episode, the first year in recovery, I just want to leave you with this. I want you to know that you can do anything that you set your mind to. You have the strength and the ability to overcome any barrier that is set in front of you. And I truly believe this. And know that it is going to be a heck of a lot harder to overcome those barriers if you go back to the bottle. (laughs) It just is. It's simple math. With alcohol in the mix, we are not our authentic, truthful selves. We are people shrouded with a lens of addiction and we are not feeling our best and making the best decisions for us at that time. So without alcohol, we have a leg up. We now have the ability to make better choices, to think about life in a bigger picture way and to start to to take small actions every single day that will make us feel better. So thank you so much. If you have any questions about this episode, please send me a DM on Instagram at mysobercompass or visit mysobercompass.com and shoot us a message. I would love to hear from you, and I also really want to talk to you about your first year in recovery. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to another episode of From Hangovers to Happiness. I want to leave you with this. You matter. If you are struggling with staying sober, please don't give up. 80% of people in their first year of sobriety go back to drinking and the average amount of times it takes to quit alcohol for good is seven times. I am rooting for you, my friend. Keep pushing forward no matter how hard it gets. You are an incredible and capable human being who deserves so much happiness. If you'd like support, find me at mysobercompass.com. A special thank you to Curb the Kid. You can find him on IG for our amazing music. And also, if you find this podcast helpful, please give it a rating and share it. Have a great day.